Glad to see all of you here. Uh, a couple things before I get rolling. Um, first and foremost, um, the young lady that you saw on the screen, her name is Danny. She's been our interim uh, children's pastor. Today is her last Sunday, unfortunately. Um, so if you get a chance, uh, make sure you say thank you to her because she's been a big help to us. Now, um, while we're not going to see her from Sunday to Sunday, she is going to be working to help us behind the scenes, which is great. She's got a tremendous amount of experience, and we're very grateful for her. So please, if you do see her, make sure that you uh, offer your, your uh, gratitude for the work that she's done with us for the last few months. So anyway, put that in the back of your mind. Also, um, Mike mentioned um, the discipleship course that's coming up. That registration should be live, and you should have seen it in the newsletter. If you have questions about it, you can certainly ask me. Um, after service, and as you're going through the registration process, if you've got a question or a comment at that point, there is a place for you to log that, and that will get to me, just so that you know. Uh, and then finally, hey, Christmas Eve, oh my gosh, Christmas Eve is coming up. Um, so uh, if it's not on your calendar yet, it should be. So please uh, come and join us. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to Christmas Eve. I, I have to say, since we started Thrive Church, um, I love Easter and I love Christmas Eve. I mean, don't get me wrong, I like the other Sundays too, but those are, those are two big ones. And I really enjoy those and, and uh, it's a great time for us to be together, so that should be good. Um, so, since it is this last week, how many of you got your Christmas shopping done? No hands! Oh no! Hallie never lets me down. Yes, so that's awesome. But it's, it's one of those things where I know you, 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 you better get going because it's coming real fast. I think the Amazon drivers are going to be busy. I'm thinking about putting something out nice for them <laughs> just to say thank you. But then the, that would probably get porch pirated too. So anyway, I don't know. Uh, that's why. All right. Well, I'm glad that you're here. And whether you have your shopping done or not, I am thrilled that you decided to spend Sunday with us. And those of you who are gathered online, I'm glad that you're here as well. So if this is your first time here, or even if you've been here before, welcome to Thrive Church. My name is David, and for the next uh, 30 minutes or so, I will be your guide. I will be your Frosty the Snowman for your Christmas parade, uh, at least as it comes to the Bible. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of you will get that one later. All right. So I'm glad. We've been going through the Christmas story, and we're using Matthew as our guide. So there's two um, narratives that we, we find in the, the Gospels, the biographies of Jesus. Uh, one is in Matthew, the other one is in Luke. And Luke tends to get all the press because there's quite a bit of detail. And it's very um, common to try to stitch the two together so that we get a, a sense. And, and this year I'm like, no, nah, I'm just... Just thought Matthew might be a great place for us to be, and so we're, we're um, kind of working through this, and and we're trying to notice some things along the way because Matthew's audience happens to be skeptical Jews, not just the Jewish people in general, but those who are who are decidedly skeptical of the whole Messiah story. That this person, Jesus, yeah, I'm not so sure that's the Messiah. Because remember, at the time, there were all sorts of different ideas about who the Messiah would be, the kinds of things that he would do. And Jesus didn't match up with a lot of those, at least not initially. And uh, certainly not in the military political sense of the word. And so that's what Matthew's writing about here. And he's trying to get the attention of these skeptical Jews. And in the process, he's trying to get our attention as well, I think. And so the, he ties virtually every part of the birth narrative to Jewish history. 
And I don't know about you, but I think that, that part's kind of fun um, to kind of go back and understand what's happening in the Old Testament and make the connection to the New Testament. And here's the interesting thing is we're, we're, we're over halfway through the, the, the whole birth narrative, and in some ways we're just getting warmed up. So stay tuned. Let's going to jump back into the text and uh, see um, where the connection might be today. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, you might want to punch in Matthew chapter 2. That's where we're going to be. And um, uh, I'm going to be starting in verse 12, by the way. But remember that in Matthew chapter 1, he starts with this genealogy. And it's a long genealogy, but it mirrors what we find in the book of Genesis. There's genealogies. Who um, is the father of whom? And um, he's highlighting some very specific things in that genealogy, if you'll remember right. He's talking about questionable aspects of the royal bloodline. So every time, typically, he mentions a female, he is highlighting something stupid that a male did. I'm just, yeah, you laugh, but it's true, okay? That's typically what's going on here. And so the idea that he's, he's saying is like, look, these are questionable people in the history of this bloodline. And you accept them, and then he ends up with Mary. He says, if you can accept them, you can accept her. Okay, so he's building this case. For the remainder of, of uh, the birth narrative, Joseph is his focus, which follows Jewish thinking. Because the uh, bloodlines uh, would travel through the male. The actual birth is rather matter-of-fact. Jesus was born, and Joseph gave him the name Jesus, just as he was told. Straightforward. There's no fanfare, there's no angels, there's no shepherds, nothing like we find in Luke. It's just very matter of fact. And then we have this interesting story about wise men from the east showing up and acknowledging that Jesus is royalty. Now, where we pick up the story today is that they've left, those wise men have left, and they're doing it in such a way to avoid a re-encounter with old King Herod, who is not a very nice guy, okay? So this is where we're gonna pick up the story. So now that we're up to, see, up to speed, let's pick this up. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, the Magi returned to their country by another route, okay? Remember this one from last week. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. This is Hosea chapter 11, verse 1 if you want the reference to it. Um, now, the rest of, of the section includes some other Old Testament um, uh, prophecies, but there's one uh, point here that I wanna, I, wanna, um, I wanna pull out of this, I think, um, and it's here. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Okay, and this is an important detail, I think, for a number of reasons. 
Um, first off, it helps us with dating. It helps us understand where the dates were historically. Um, but the controversy here is that there's not a whole lot of corroborating evidence for this type of massacre. Um, whether it was done clan in a clandestine way or if it was just considered unemployment, I, uh, unimportant, I do not know. Um, there may be some other attestations in other books of history, but um, it's not what I would call very strong at this point. So uh, keep that in mind. So there is some controversy over whether or not that happened. Um, but as you might have realized, um, governments have a tendency to try to cover stuff up. Have you noticed this? Oh, it got quiet in here. <laughs> so yeah, we have to keep that in mind. So that's a, a little a portion of this. But what we ought to do here is to zoom out for just a second um, because I have to admit, there's something in here that sounds a little familiar. And what um, I want to, to suggest to you that all of this, uh, what we're reading in Matthew chapter 1 and chapter 2, and these ties back to the Old Testament, is something that we call the principle of first, first mention. And so very often in the New Testament, <coughs> the authors do something very specific. They take a word they take a phrase or they take an idea um, that will remind the reader of something that happened previously. And so what you have to do is say, where was this first mentioned? And it is a deliberate tool on the part of the New Testament authors to get your mind to think about something bigger and broader. Are you with me? Okay, principle of first mention is huge. We find it a lot in the Gospel of John. We also find it a lot here in Matthew because of the Jewish nature of the book. Okay? So always keep this in mind. So <clears throat> we're reading the story, and there's this part of me that just says, hmm, where have I heard about escaping to Egypt before? And baby boys being the target of murder. and That sounds familiar to me. Uh, especially if you know anything about Old Testament history. You know, and first and foremost, it reminds me of another dreaming Joseph. Because remember, this Joseph had some dreams where the Lord showed up. Well, there's another dreaming Joseph, right? And if you want to know his story, you can find it in Genesis chapter 46. That's where it begins. But that dreaming Joseph brought his family to Egypt to escape hardship. In this case, it was famine. But the point was, is he moved his entire family from what is you know, currently Israel down to Egypt to protect them. And again, um, between Genesis 46 and the end of the book of Genesis, you can read all about that, that story. It's pretty dramatic. And if you know the history, then you know that that family stayed. They stayed in, in Egypt, and they grew, and they became a great nation, which means they had a lot of kids, and their kids had a lot of kids, and their kids had lots of kids. And so this tribe of roughly, of, uh, uh, sorry, of uh, 12 sons becomes this massive nation, and each son is, becomes a tribe. So you've got this large group of people. Now, I want to stop and, and hit pause and make a bit of a comment here because I think this is really important for us to understand, especially in the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Um, and, and I want you to think about this. Um, 
more than casually, right? Sometimes God puts us into circumstances to develop us. Now, most of us understand this intellectually, but when we, when we, when we think about that, it's very easy for us to think in terms of God puts us in a difficult situation. Um, and and we, we tend to say, well, God must be developing me because the alternative is to say, why me? Why am I going through this? But as, as believers who, who, who actually hold the idea that God has our best interest at heart, we look, tend to look at things differently and say, okay, in the times of challenge and in trial, this is where God develops our faith. How many of you have heard this before? How many of you have said this to someone else before? How many of you have said this to yourself before, right? And we, we tend to think in terms of challenge and difficulty as those moments of, of development. And in those times, it does seem like God is quite silent, right? I heard this the other day, and I thought this was excellent. You know, the professor is always silent during the exam. And I think that's true. But it's really easy for us to think that when, when we're going through something rough, when we're going through something hard or difficult. Sometimes we call it being on the backside of the desert. Yeah, I'm not sure what backside refers to there. I'm <laughs> not, not entirely sure. But it's, but it's not always challenging circumstances that develop us. Sometimes God gives us excellent circumstances so that we might flourish. Now that doesn't mean that you're going to have happily ever after as far as flourishing goes. But usually there is development, there is training, there is preparation for something else, typically challenging times. And there's this kind of ebb and flow back and forth. It just seems to be the case. Um, I, I, I can see it in my own life. I don't like it. I grouse about it to the Lord often. I really do, and I'm sure all of you do as well. But the point is, is that there are some moments where we are flourishing. Now, here's the thing, though. How many times have you been in, you've been in a set of circumstances or a situation where it's really good, and there's a part of you wondering when the other shoe's gonna drop, right? And somehow that kind of steals our joy. So what I want to suggest to you is, is maybe instead of waiting for the other shoe to drop, you can say, Lord, how, how do you want me to flourish and develop here? Do you see the difference? It's a very different perspective to take. It's not easy because human nature is, well, I know something's coming. And that may be true. But then enjoy those moments where you have to flourish so that you are ready and will remember that when things get difficult. Are you with me? This is an important thing to remember. And so here God has the nation of Israel in Egypt and it allows them to flourish. This is the promise that God made to the, the forebear, Abraham. I'm going to make your descendants like the, the stars in the sky, just innumerable. Well, that happens not in Canaan, not in Israel, but it happens in Egypt. And it gives them that set of circumstances. Why? Well, because of the Nile River, there's food. That's a big deal to a lot of people. And so the whole nation moves down there. There's food that's available, and they can flourish, and they can multiply. 
and they become a great nation. So we can have some fun when we're flourishing, but also understand that it's preparation just as much as difficulty is, okay? All right, back to, back to a little bit of history. So something happens while Israel is prospering in Egypt. While this new nation, this nation of people, uh, they're settled there, the politics of Egypt changes dramatically. And this is very important for us to remember because it changes these flourishing circumstances to something mm, much more difficult, much more uh, testing-oriented. And here's, the, here's the, um, the verse. This is in Exodus chapter 1. Now Joseph, the other Joseph, Old Testament Joseph, and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. That means they had a lot of kids. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers. So you always know it's a big deal to the Old Testament author when we, they mention the same thing more than once. So they were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers. It's kind of a Dr. Seuss thing, right? You know, it's, they're, they're as fruitful as fruitful can be type of thing, okay? Increased in numbers and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. That's a lot of kids. Imagine those grocery bills. Then here's the line. Then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. It's a simple statement, but it is rather ominous. Because remember, Joseph was the number two guy, right underneath Pharaoh, for a long period of time. Because he was wise, and uh, he dreamed dreams, he could interpret other dreams, and Pharaoh relied on him to be a great administrator, and he was. But politics changed somebody else came to power in Egypt. And that person was Ramses II. He ruled between roughly 1303 to 1213 BCE, which remember is before the Common Era. If you are an Egyptologist, this is the 19th dynasty and was the most pharaoh of what was known as the New Kingdom. And what he did was he kind of succeeded in reestablishing Egypt as a true ancient superpower. I mean, there was some up in the north, but Egypt was kind of it when it comes to the ancient world, largely, again, because of the Nile River and the ability to grow food. It's important. And Ramses is known um, most for the Battle of Kadesh against the Hittites. Now, this is really an important thing to remember because the Hittites um, were a shepherding people. Means they're shepherds. They had flocks and and um, and herds and, and that sort of thing. Who else had flocks and herds? Israelites. The Hittites had people within the borders of Egypt. Who else had people within the borders of Egypt? Israel. So consequently, you just fought a major battle against a particular type of individual. And guess who is guilty by association? Israel. And so now you've got this numerous um, people inside the borders of Egypt. And they're foreigners. They don't worship the same gods. 
Ramses was considered a god. Pretty sure he didn't get worshipped by Israel. And so we have this switch in leadership. We have traumatic events that are affecting the nation. And the politics of fear and race begin to grip Pharaoh and the entire Egyptian court. And so they enslave Israel, more or less. The entire nation. And what's so interesting here is that even though that they're enslaved, remember we went from flourishing times now to enslavement, and yet God still blesses them while they are enslaved. And in this case, gave them more kids. So we have that going on. So we have this blessing that's occurring even though that the times are difficult. So moment of development in flourishing, now we have another moment of development in difficulty. Both are for development. Keep that in mind, right? We have this thing that's going on. So they have more kids. So Egypt does what most governments do. They escalate things. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. And and folks, we're not talking about girl power here. This is horrific genocide. Horrible to even imagine something like this. But wait a second. Just just wait a second. That sounds really familiar. Baby boys being hunted. Didn't we just read that? Like, Like back in Matthew? Yeah. Now, if you're familiar with this story at all, this is the point where um, um, Charlton Heston is rescued out of the Nile River and there's a whole story. No, it's not Charlton Heston. It's Moses, right? Moses is this little boy who's put into a basket and floated down the Nile to keep him from being killed and who finds it? Pharaoh's daughter then adopts this Hebrew child, saves him. It's all in Exodus chapter 2 if you're interested. But Moses is saved from death. He's raised in Egypt for a specified period of time. And what did Moses end up doing? Well, he was known to be a prophet. He worked miracles. And he was a very humble leader. Some other things too, but you know. Most notably though, It's Moses who led Israel to freedom. He brought them up out of the land of slavery, brought them up out of Egypt. And we find this phrasing threaded throughout all the Old Testament. I'm the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. And everybody knows that was Moses. Moses was God's mouthpiece at that particular point in time. It was his prophet. And here's the interesting thing, and this is what I think you need to remember, is that Matthew will spend the rest of his gospel, another 20 some odd chapters, in this biography of Jesus, showing Jesus to do the same thing. The difference is that he's not just freeing a group of people, Jesus is here to free all people. So what Moses started, Jesus finishes. Do you see that? Moses is freeing this nation up out of the land of slavery and what Matthew is is saying to, to all of us 
is that Jesus is still at that. He's still about freeing people. It's still all about freedom. And you'll have to agree, there's all kinds of trouble in the world, right? And if you're sitting there going, well, I don't know about any trouble, then turn on your news. No, don't. Don't turn on your news. Don't. It's not. uh Uh-uh. There's fear. There's hate. There's uncertainty. And all of that enslaves us in one way or the other. It either forces us into a very destructive ideology. It'll often turn to violence. And at the very minimum, it gives us indecision. Because there's this moment when things are so crazy out there and you're like, I don't know what to do. Have you felt that way? And it may not be that you have anything to do on on a national scale or even on a regional scale, but you do have your own family. And families are being torn apart by different things and we're all sitting there going, I'm not sure what to do. I don't know what to say. And, and, and we hold things back and we're, we're, we're careful about the words that we choose and because we don't want there to be conflict or anything like that. And it's all very, very real. And there's an, at least an indecision. And there's conflict. And you find yourself wondering What's going on here? But you, Thrive Church, are set free. This is what the New Testament writer Paul says. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Slavery comes in different forms. Yes, I mean, there's obviously the most horrific where you're physically enslaved to someone else, but you can be enslaved to your indecision, to violence. You can be enslaved to, again, destructive ideology. And you can probably think of a dozen other things. You know, probably the easiest one that we're enslaved to is is distraction. Because we don't want to deal with the junk, right? Right? And we've got this really cool distraction in the palm of our hands. Oh, it got quiet again in here. <laughs> but this is, this is what happens. You know, we'll find different ways to distract ourselves so we don't have to deal with that. And that might be coping mechanisms, but it's, it's really ineffective. But Paul says, nah, it's for freedom that you're set free so that you can be free. Don't allow yourself to go back into, into slavery and you have to kind of keep that in mind. And, and this is the thing, this is part of the Christmas story that I really want you to grasp hold of because it is Matthew himself who, who stands over what Luke tells us about this baby in a manger. And it's Luke who's standing there and he's waving his arms and he's procra- proclaiming as loudly as he possibly can He's waving his hands like a madman almost. He's, he's done such a great job of trying to connect all of this for these skeptical Jews and for us as well. And he's saying, look, this baby that's right here, this one that you're not so sure of, this baby is like that. It's like Moses. And the stuff that Moses did pales in comparison to what this baby is going to do when it comes to freedom. This is huge Don't miss that this baby is just like that and there is a connection here and what you saw, mm -mm, this baby's going to do so much more and for so many more people. 
I don't know about you, but that sounds like good news to me. It really does. It's not just for the Jews. It's for everybody wrapped up in this baby. So holiday season, pressure's on to get the right gift. Make sure you got food ready to go for Christmas Day. Just dealing with all the other people who are doing the same things. And my question for you is, are you living into your freedom? Because it is for freedom that Christ sets you free. Are you free to have joy in the midst of all this nuttiness? What's going down inside of your heart today? I don't know what it is. Maybe you're joyful. I know there's some kids back there. They don't know about any of this nonsense that's going on in the world today. And isn't it interesting that Jesus said, unless you're like a little child, (laughs) maybe we all need to have a little more of that wonder. I don't know. But my prayer for you is that you'd live into your freedom. That you would find yourself in the presence of Christ so that you could be the presence of Christ to somebody else. There's a whole lot of retail workers who could use that right now. I find myself, just to be honest, waiting for it. I was in a coffee shop um, the other day, which is my custom. And I saw an individual uh, uh, who was wearing a very loud, festive Christmas sport coat. It was kind of like the sport coat version of the ugly sweater, ugly Christmas sweater. And he was talking on his phone and trying to order coffee and then complaining to the person on the phone about the service that he was getting at the coffee shop. Um, That makes me mad. Uh, He left, fortunately, before I (coughs) stopped biting my tongue. But I realized that that individual didn't need a tongue lashing. The person behind the counter needed the encouragement. Now, go to this coffee shop often, and so I knew her name. And I said, hey, I just want to let you know, first of all, that guy was a jerk, and you handled it well. You know what she said to me? Really? I didn't feel like it. I said, that's on him. That isn't on you. You're one person, understaffed, and you still served him, and you did it as quickly as you could, and you deserve credit for that. Thanks. Yep, you're welcome. Let's be sensitive to that. You may not be free to go (coughs) opening up a can on some idiot who needs it, but you are free to go to the person hurt 
and say, hmm, I'm proud of you. You handled that well. It was ugly. You gave it your best shot, and somebody noticed it. I did. And I'm grateful for how you did it. That's the little things that add up in people's lives. Is she going to remember what he said? Of course she is. But hopefully, a little bit of encouragement begins to take that edge off. And if we're going to be people of presence, to be in the presence of God, we need to be sensitive to those moments when God needs us to be his presence. And it doesn't mean that you're doing something big. It can be a kind word. Some of you heard me say this before, but I talked to a guy who worked at a restaurant, and he said the worst time for tips was Sunday after church. Thrive, we need to turn that one around. As people of presence, we ought to be the most generous people on the planet, especially this time of year. And it's not just the dollars that you give, although that's a big part of it, but it's also the kindness that you show. Keep that in mind. Ah, That one got me riled up, didn't it? Yeah. It is for freedom that you have been set free. And this baby that we talk about every single week, uh, whole soul purpose is to set us free. Let's pray. God, it's Christmas time and it brings out the worst and the best in us. Jesus, I, I honestly don't know where everybody's at this holiday season. I know where I'm at. And I know <clears throat> that there are moments where I too need to be reminded that I am set free because of this baby. And as we slowly move into this great week and this weekend where we get to be with family and friends and we get to celebrate the the arrival of your son and all that that means and all that stands for us. Oh God, I pray that every person here would experience a little more of your presence. God, that you would make yourself known in ways that we just can't ignore you (laughs) and that it would so change us that we would we would see victory over those things that have been holding us back. Uh, The fear, the anxiety, the hurt, the anger, the frustration, all of those things that keep us from being people of presence. God, I pray that you would free us from those things. And you know every heart that's in the room You know what's going on deep inside. You even know about the stuff that we don't want you to see. Lord, I just pray that every person would begin to see you as this baby. You came that way so that we would understand you. You came that way so that you could understand 
us and we could identify with one another. Allow that to free all of us in a very real way. And I just pray over the congregation that calls Thrive Church home, whether they're here or whether they're online. God, would you bless them this holiday season? Bless them first with freedom and the joy that comes from that. Let us not get bogged down in things that don't matter, but to simply lean into your presence so that we can be your presence to others. Thanks, Lord, for what you're going to do. We pray this all in Jesus' name and everybody said. Thank you.